Hello, beautiful people of podcast land. Welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Past. Doc Past, indeed. Quite appropriately I so. I feel like more so than any <laughs> other. Because we are here today to talk about an adventure in space and time. We are indeed. A bonus episode, which we are saying is B060. Correct. Who are you? Me? I recognize your voice. Well, you should do, because I'm Jim. Oh, hello, Jim. And you should recognize that voice, Podcast Land. Who's that? Oh, I'm Leon. Hello, everyone. It is Leon. Hello, Leon. Hello, Jim. And I think we're in marvelous form here, aren't we, today, to talk about a marvelous little historical of Doctor Who? Yeah, exactly. Not historical in the in, in the traditional sense of the word. Is this a... Is this, I mean, it's not a documentary. Is this a... I think biopic Do- might be the... Docudrama? Is that the, is that the phrase they do- go with? Is it a doc-u-drama? A doc-u-drama. <laughs> a doc-umentary. Yeah, exactly. So this is Mark Gatiss's film about the creation of Doctor Who and the... the I don't want to say the rise and fall, but certainly the rise of William Hartnell. Yes, definitely focusing on William Hartnell. Yeah. Unquestionably. Maybe we should just get this out there. If people haven't seen this, they should absolutely watch it. Yes. You absolutely should. Yes. Shame on you for not having seen it. I don't think that we're going to spoil anything. How does it end? Oh, yeah. You'll get 50 plus years of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a really interesting view of the early days, that even before the early days of Doctor Who. Yeah. I think... Because I've, I've seen this twice now. I, I watched it around the time, if not exactly the time it aired. Yeah. Which was 21st of November 2013, apparently. All right. So nearly six years ago. Holy moly. We've had 56 years of Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. That's cr- incredible. And I watched it yesterday. Right. Okay. That's the second time. So it's now fresh in my memory again. Okay. But I do remember watching this the first time around and just being kind of gobsmacked that there was like the first female producer in the BBC. Yes. Was the spearhead of Doctor Who. Yeah. And who then went on to be, I mean, not just, Doctor Who is probably, Verity Lambert we're talking about, Doctor Who is yeah. probably her most famous and most appreciated product, right? Like her most appreciated show. But she had a really long-standing career. And there are so many other people who just seem like incredibly pleasant creatives somehow attached to this. Yeah. So first female producer at the BBC, and then uh, I... Verity Lambert, I confess, is the only name I remember. (laughs) Oh, there's a Newman as well, Leslie Newman. Leslie Newman? Sydney Newman. Sydney Newman, see, I, yeah, okay, so Verity Lambert is the only name I remember at this, <laughs> but the very first director as well. Yes. Something Hussein? Varys, I think it is. First Indian director, yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, this was quite a shock to me, I think, because this is 1963. Yeah. And yeah, to, to have one show responsible for these two firsts. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if it says something about... Well, if anything, it might say something about Sidney Newman, who is the the guy that came from ITV to BBC, and it is his idea, as at least as portrayed in this documentary. That's right, yeah. A Canadian chap, by the way. Oh, Canadian. Mm. Yeah. He comes across American in this, I think. He does, yeah, I agree. Yeah, but th- at the end it says he went back to Canada, so yeah. <laughs> probably a Canadian. <laughs> yeah, who's you- more about story and creativity, and as he said, piss and vinegar, than silly things like well, I don't know gender norms and yeah. Yeah, he's he's not afraid to just do what is the right thing to do and worry about the consequences afterwards, sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Because 
the setup for this, there are, there are a lot of old white fogies in the BBC surrounding this kind of going. Yeah, I mean, the, in the very, very beginning, this. like Virgil Lambert's introduction, the second she steps into the room on her first day at work, there's some shitball who's trying to just muscle her out and do the, her job yeah. in her place. And I'm sure it wasn't... I mean, yeah, you're right. There are lots of old white dudes at the BBC, but I'm sure it was, in fact, even more difficult in real life. Oh, I imagine, yeah. Because in this film, she basically just sends him packing. He gets a different job. Something like he's sent to some distant outpost in, in Siberia. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure it wasn't quite that easy. I'm sure there must have been so many obstacles. Yeah. And because they, they hint at the, the racism that Varys must have faced. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if there's a hint that he was gay as well. I think so. Yeah. yeah. In the bar. Well, I don't know if, if that's actually true. But uh, yeah, that was my takeaway as well. In the bar. Yeah. Thing, right? Yeah. So there's a chap in the other So bar. it might be. A, you know a double whammy that he's facing so again it's like yeah. quite incredible but someone someone's seeing beyond the stereotypes and going he's a good director i mean this is a show doctor who is a show that has championed just an, an openness and and equality in alien races <laughs> to begin <laughs> with and then on earth right maybe that kind of stands to reason but by the same token, when we were reviewing all the, like, the, the Hartnell run, and much of the, yeah, not just Hartnell, Hartnell, Troughton, Pertwee, probably touched upon it a little bit in Tom Baker as well. There's tons of sexism in many of those early classics. Yeah. Lots of sexism. So if that's even sneaking into a production that is in itself already kind of, you know, distancing itself from that old school old white man way of thinking at the BBC. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But I mean, just imagine how difficult it was, or how difficult it must have been. Yeah. What do you think about the, so the very early Hartnell episode, well, the very early Doctor Who episodes, yeah. do you think they were a little bit more open and forward thinking with, with that idea, with, when presumably Verity Lambert had more control over what was going on? Well, I guess there's, there's not much in the way of of even like of any gender roles, whether they're super stereotypical nineteen sixties gender stereotypes or or anything slightly more progressive, in probably the first couple of series at least, we get to see much of the first one being filmed. In yeah, this, in, it's just yeah, cavemen and and that's it. It's a caveman drama. But no, I feel like in much of Verity Lambert's run as well, she was being influenced by the BBC at large. I think her hands were tied to a certain degree. Yeah. She probably wanted to be slightly more progressive about the show than she was allowed to be. We get to see Vicky No Pants. The fact that we have Vicky No Pants on Doctor <laughs> Who, that is definitely during Verity Lambert's show, uh, run. Oh, right. Why are you getting a, a schoolgirl and get, putting upskirt shots on TV? She's a yeah. schoolgirl as well. Well, oh. I mean, she's a kid. She's meant to be a kid. Wow. Yeah. She's like the surrogate granddaughter after he dumps his granddaughter in post-apocalyptic London, which we also get to see in this film. Yeah. So, I, you know, as weird as it is that I, I do the classic reviews with you, yeah. I, I haven't seen the earlier classics. That's right, and yeah. my reference point for watching, I forget my name, the actor, the actor playing Hartnell doing the, the monologue to say goodbye to Susan yeah. is this... <laughs> Oh, I see. This biopic, it's it's not the episode itself. And it comes across, because it, the way it's put into the biopic, as yeah. a kind of farewell moving on in other terms. I don't know, do, do you think it comes across a bit flat in the show then, that he's sort of dumping his granddaughter? 
just that he can move on and... No, I think in the show it's genuinely meant to be, oh, here's a decent way of writing out a character, the actor who's playing whom, which just doesn't want to be on the show anymore. Caroline Ford wanted to get out of Doctor Who, is, is my understanding, because she was just constantly the damsel in distress. Like, everything Susan did was just scream and run away from monsters and occasionally yeah. need to be rescued by a man, and she didn't want to do that anymore, so fair play. But by 1960s standards, the way to like respectably write out a female character is to have her marry a man <laughs> she's just met. And I'm sure it was sentimental and beautiful in 1960, whenever it was, 66, 67, but... Looking at that serial with today's eyes, it is redonkulous that this grandfather literally just fucks off in his TARDIS and leaves his granddaughter in post-apocalyptic London with a man that she hasn't vetted, that she doesn't know, she's <laughs> just met him. He steals her shoe. What? Yeah. The doctor, she, she has is two that a marriage proposal in this book? <laughs> no, no. The doctor steals his granddaughter's shoe. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> She's left one of her shoes in the TARDIS, and he goes, oh, let me go fetch her for you. He goes in, locks the door, does that soliloquy, and dematerializes. Oh, wow. He doesn't just leave her there, he leaves her with half of her footwear. <laughs> <laughs> but it is probably intended to be just as sentimental a scene as was depicted in this film. Yeah. I mean, he's brought to tears because Caroline Ford was like this anchor for him. He is a granddad, or was a granddad in real life, and on the show, and... That's probably, yeah. it really tied him to that production. Because it's very well done in, in the biopic, I thought, anyway. It's beautifully done, yeah. Because yeah. I don't know how like you can really understand a character who, when did Hartnell die? He died quite a long time before, in the 70s? I'm going to look that up, I don't remember. But, you know, there's probably not that many people around who can actually tell you firsthand what he was like to work with. I, True. I would assume that his wife had died. I, I don't know what his family setup is, but you, ju you just see him and his wife with the grandchild in this biopic. Yeah. Which I don't know if that means that the granddaughter's parents had died or if we just get snippets when they, she's come to visit. I don't know. Possibly. Yeah, no, you're right. I didn't really think about it at but the that, time. But that whole kind of backstory and like there's obviously going to be people that can talk about and maybe even written down what it was like to work with him. Yeah. Which maybe is where all the grumpiness kind of comes from. And so when you watched this, yeah. did you have interviews about William Hartnell following the end credits? Because I did, including interviews with the real granddaughter. Oh, right. No, I don't think I had seen anything like that. And by the way, he passed away in 1975. I just looked it up. Right. So it, there were interviews with a whole bunch of people. Terence Dix and, and Caroline Ford, his granddaughter. Right. Various companions. And everyone was basically saying he's... He was a super grumpy and difficult man oh. with a huge heart and who was sort of slightly aware of his own grumpiness. Yeah. The, there's someone who, I can't remember who brought this up, but someone mentioned that he showed up on set with flowers for all the, the actresses and a tin of biscuits for the men on set. And it was taken to be his attempt at saying, listen, I know that I'm really difficult to work with, but like, I'm, I'm sorry. Here, have this as a gesture of you know, something, appreciation. So in, in the biopic, it's, it's David Bradley. David Bradley, it's well done, name, yes. This is the name of the actor. I had to look him up. Yeah. Um, who we probably all do know. Yes. As either Filch from Harry Potter or... The first Doctor in uh, the one that he does with Capaldi. Twice Upon a Time. Twice Upon a Time, yes, that's the one. And he was also in The Dinosaurs on a Spaceship as that Solomon guy that gets killed. Holy shit, you're right, that is him. Yeah. Yeah. He was also in The Strain. Very cool show. I don't show. know Strain. Yeah, it was very cool until it really wasn't. Oh. 
Mm. But he's fantastic in it. He's just the best. And he's been in Game of Thrones, but who hasn't? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he's... I don't know if he's got an extensive career, actually, but I think he's um, one of these proper stage actors. And I feel like that's probably almost mirroring Hartnell in a way. Like, he seems to have cherry-picked quite good roles. So you you do know him, and he, he carries a lot of weight in yeah. most things he does. Character actor. Yeah. Yeah. And I, d- I don't know any of Hartnell's career. He references, I think... Um, he did a lot of military movies... Yeah, like the films that they named, I had heard of. I don't think I've seen any of them. And there was there was some TV show, uh, which I think I recognised as being one of these long running TV shows from the fifties or sixties. And again, I saw, yeah, I think he's probably a similar kind of actor who likes to do a role that's good and get, yeah. get stuck into it. I, I love the scene actually where he's kind of getting a bit annoyed with the new production team. Yes, exactly. Does no one know what's, how the, anything works around here? Yeah. He has to turn on the actual TARDIS console. and Yeah. But that's another thing. They do include a lot of references to just the the famous Hartnell line flubs. Like the, the fornicator instead of the, <laughs> yeah, the fort locator and... and Chesterton and Chatterton, you know. So all, all are many stuff. of them actually in the final they are, cuts? Yeah, they like are in final all cuts. All of them? Tons of them, yeah. Wow. Chatterton, Chesterfield. I mean, Ian Chesterton had so many different names. <laughs> the Fornicator is in final cuts. Oh, wow. Yeah, there are tons. All of the ones that he actually pulls off in this biopic are actual quotes from Final Cut. But then in that little post-end credit sequence mini-documentary... They were talking a lot about how, well, a lot. I mean, the whole thing is like five minutes long, but they were talking about how actually production was really severely hampered by his condition. I mean, his memory was going because of his health. It wasn't a, it wasn't an age thing, and it wasn't had nothing to do with intelligence or anything like that, of course, or talents. He yeah. had tons of talents, but his health condition was unfortunately, you know, developing. Well, he was developing all these side effects, memory loss being one of them. And so, for example, apparently he had cue cards for every single one of his lines towards like the final series that he shot. So obviously it's going to crazily hamper production. So I can understand that kind of took him off it. But wait, hang on, sorry. So there was another thing I wanted to say. There's, an, uh, there's a brief interview with Hartnell himself. Oh, right. Because after Doctor Who... He did some pantomime, and I wasn't entirely sure, it's not really clarified, but it seems as though it may have been a Doctor Who-themed pantomime. Oh. And his granddaughter, who is also part of this interview, uh, she was sitting in the front row, and obviously he was very happy to step out on stage and people recognize him and all that stuff. But in the interview with him, he seemed so disappointed to be doing this. So they were like, oh, so uh, pantomime, is that very different? He goes, yes, pa- a pantomime actor is a very different kind of actor, don't you know? So it, it's, it's not at all what I am. I'm a, I'm a character actor. I'm, a, I'm, I'm the real deal. <laughs> uh, do you see yourself doing more pantomime in the future? No, of, of course not. Of course not. I'm like, oh shit, you're, he's applying makeup while he's saying this stuff to go out on stage. So, yeah. Anyway, complicated man. Yeah. I wonder why he was hired in the first place, frankly. I mean, he was great for the parts, but he didn't seem like... I don't know, it's cause I found that an interesting thing that they portrayed in the biopic was that they had to reshoot the entire first episode. Yeah. Because he came across too grumpy, in a way. Like, there were other things that were problems, but yeah. that was one of the things, which... The portrayal that we see, William Hartnell is commenting on this. He's saying this character is too grumpy. It yeah. should be with more whimsy and a twinkle in the eye. Yes, exactly. And 
it takes them finishing the production, showing it to the Sydney Newman and him going, holy fuck, no. (laughs) 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 To actually acknowledge it. So like he wants to portray the character with that kind of lighthearted tone and well, not lighthearted. Sorry, that's not the right phrase. But, you know, the the little bit of love that you kind of expect from a doctor. Madcap Father Christmas. Yes, what, what's the actual... Uh, Wizard uh, of Oz meets Father Christmas something. H.T. Wells is thrown in there. I yes, think. you're right, yeah. Oh, I wrote it down as well, hang C.S. on. C.S. Lewis meets H.T. Wells meets Father Christmas. That's the one. Yeah, because I think we, we go on about this a lot, of like how you try and bottle up what the Doctor is when so many different actors and actresses have portrayed the Doctor. Yeah. And I think you generally do come back to that kind of idea as it's, it's someone who maybe is a bit kind of egotistical and... Like has has some negative traits with how they go about things. Yeah, there's an, there's an edginess to that character. Yeah, yeah. But it's just it's their strong kind of morality and heart though that is at the center of it all. Yeah, and it was interesting to watch them kind of missing them out with that actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very true. Wait, hang on. Sorry, backpedaling a little bit. Take a step back to before he's portraying the Doctor in a way that he doesn't feel is right and that we later on will realize is absolutely not right. And- Initial interview in the restaurant with him, at least the way it's portrayed in this movie, when Verity Lamberts and Maris, they're trying to convince him to take this job. He's not making it easy for them. No. He's not coming across as particularly charismatic or even really interested in the role. Not until he's on set and he's actually landed the gig does it become incredibly obvious that of all the people who care about this show, very possibly he cares the most. Yeah. It's in- no, it is interesting. You're right. Cause I, cause I, don't, I, don't, I probably wouldn't have hired him if I were in the, their shoes. I'd probably be like, there are probably tons more people who would be more e- like just easier to work with. But there must be something in his career that they've looked at and said, you know, that, that little sparkle in that character there, that's what we want to get. Oh, yeah? Combine it with the military guy. Possibly. As, as a, a little 10% of military guy. Fifty <laughs> percent of the like the sparkle, and then forty percent of granddad. Sprinkle some granddad in there. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Does he have a granddad who's an immortal? Yeah, great. <laughs> By the way, I swear to God. I, okay, so I have a theory about the granddaughter in the film. I mean, there's one element of this film that I really did not like, and that is that granddaughter. Just because there's a child actor in it, or yeah, there's a child actor who absolutely cannot act, <laughs> not at all. She's not that bad. She's terrible. She's pretty I, terrible. I she's hope she's listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. If you're listening, then I'm sorry. If you're not listening, then I'm not sorry at all. Uh, but you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I get the impression that they don't switch actresses between before he starts the the job and just as he's about to exit, because we get to see her on both occasions. I mean, throughout as well. And those are years, like four years during which she would have grown. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But it's the same actress. And so my theory is she is actually their daughter, but she is an immortal. <laughs> <laughs> she does not age. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Went straight for the uh, immortal child, <laughs> child theory. Okay. Yeah, from my notes. I fucking hate his grandkid. Grandkid. She's an immortal and should not be in this program. Yeah. I've also on a completely separate occasion in my notes just written, kids should not be allowed on TV. Bill Hartnell's granddaughter is a fucking wreck. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, but aside wow. from that, it's it's lovely. Yeah, that that bugged me too. That there was a massive progression of time, and you can't do that with a small child. No, you can do that with an adult. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, who's not going to shoot up like vertically? Yeah. Uh, anyway, I did like though after they they've got Hartnell. Yeah, and he's questioning stuff. Yes, I think you're the, looking at this same note I'm looking at. They just start butter him up by talking about how great his oh, career has been. Not what I was going to say. Yeah. I love that scene as well. It, Brian Cox, who plays uh, Newman, yeah, is incredible. He Possibly is. it particularly in that scene. I think yeah, it's it's that very kind of light-handed approach, which I I think is possibly his approach to acting. I don't know, but you know, <laughs> you know, he's not he's not really necessarily stealing a scene a lot of the time. He's just twisting it. If you, you know yeah, what I mean? possibly. Like, like he's not that grand. Like he is a bit. But he, he is a bit over the top. He but. does. He has this inc- this sort of Hollywood producer ish. Oh, yeah, okay, fine. He's Canadian, but he had this sort of Hollywood yeah. producer ish thing of let's just compliment the talent. And constantly, his mouth is just agape. He's just like, <laughs> uh, sorry, I just put his face there perfectly yeah. for podcast. Yeah, great, great radio. <laughs> but, but <laughs> imagine a podcast like, and you know what? No, watch the film, and you'll know what I'm trying to do. And that is. I, I think he steals that scene. He's incredible in that scene. He's incredible throughout. Yeah. The casting in general in this... Can we talk about the casting? The casting oh, is fantastic. Amazing. What are the odds that they can find people who don't just look almost exactly like their counterparts in real life, but who are all exceptionally talented? Yeah. I'd... I say exceptionally because there is one exception, and that's the immortal kid. <laughs> I'm just actually looking up to see if there's a picture of Sydney. Yeah, yeah there was a... Okay. In the yeah. end credits. Yeah, okay. So maybe maybe Ryan Cox didn't look exactly like Sydney, but, but uh, Verity Lambert looked... I mean, the casting choice for Verity Lambert, for Hussein, uh, for Hartnell, obviously. Obviously. All of the companions, all of the companions looked perfect. Yeah. Maybe Susan slightly less so, but... Actually, yeah, Susan was the only one I kind of picked up on because I, like I recognised her a bit more. Oh, yeah? As the, I, I recognised the... The real Susan. Oh, okay, yeah. And yeah, the the actress playing her in this one didn't look quite right. That's true, yeah. Yeah. But Ian looks fantastic. I didn't make a note of any of the the actors' names. No, I I don't know the rest of them. But yeah, no, that incredible job. And obviously you can do reasonable amount of stuff with hair and makeup, but I don't think they had to do a lot. No, I don't think so either, because the guy who plays Ian Chesterton looks exactly like the guy who played Ian Chesterton. (laughs) (laughs) I think it, actually the other one that I wasn't too sure about and I wasn't sure if it was just as a kind of... Troughton? Friend of... Yeah. Yeah. Bringing in... Is it Reece Shearsmith? Because he didn't look like Troughton to me, but maybe I just haven't seen enough of Troughton. No, I think you're probably right. Real life Troughton looked maybe a little older to begin with. Yeah. But... As in, sorry, was a little older to begin with. But... Um, no, I don't know. I, I, I was quite impressed by it. And I was impressed by every... Just by everyone's talent. Everyone's a really solid actor in this. Yeah. And we, we rag on Gatiss all the time, mostly because there's just this circle jerk of people yeah. contributing to Doctor Who, and it's like, come on, bring some someone else in. Yeah. He can fucking write. He can, yeah. He, he knows how to pay stuff. He knows how to pull on your heartstrings. And he has put together a, a at once both classy and schmaltzy movie like in in perfect in a perfect equilibrium yeah 
I, did, I don't I, know if that maybe sacrifices a bit of realism, though. That's the only thing. I think it possibly does, actually. But I, I don't think I care. No, no, I right. Think, it romanticizes the early yeah, days of the exactly. BBC, and it's, it's perfect. Yeah, I think that's what it's... It's obviously... It's what it's meant to do. This is a 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Yeah, Who's exactly. Like, one, if not the flagship BBC show. Yeah. And it's its 50th. What, you mean class? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's going to be, you know, a, a love letter to to everything to do with it so, yeah exactly so it had to be and like i i kind of there were points i felt like i knew i was being manipulated to care <laughs> about stuff but i still cared about it like i i teared up on a couple of occasions watching this like it's oh yeah it's really heartfelt like seeing how much hartnell does get upset when um i forget the actress's name susan susan's character uh, caroline ford yeah when she's leaving and he's given that monologue and when Verity leaves, yes, who he's been leaning on and kind of feel like he was not necessarily doing it for her, but like they they it kind of felt like he had a com- comrade in arms sort of thing, and yeah, they it, they were doing the show together. She was the one that cared as much as he did about it, and then it's just like it's gone. It's like at the end of something, and he just carries on on his own, and it's just Ooh. yeah, that's it is really sad. Did you get the impression that she? didn't want to leave that she wanted to continue producing it i don't know the actual historical you know i, I don't know the, the actual background to this i think just based on the portrayal here she probably had a bit of reluctance as most people would do leaving a project that you've birthed effectively yeah but i i got the impression she wanted to move on as i presume there was a massive churn of people but looks of it during hartnell's run i don't yeah. know, don't know about subsequent uh, runs but it, it's kind of implied there was an entirely new team and it wasn't handed over very well not at all yeah yeah so and i mean you're right to point out that you know claudia playing susan was more than just typecast she probably wasn't even getting to act by the sounds of it like you know you, you go in to start a career as an actor thinking you're going to do all these great and wonderful things and you're running away from a monster every week yeah exactly that's like, not really testing you it's not she was at the 50th anniversary convention oh yeah and she said as much i don't remember m- much else she said frankly because i was just completely starstruck but yeah uh, but no she said the exactly that yeah which is, which is exactly how it's portrayed in this graphic yeah. so we, we you know we have to yeah assume that's that's the case that's why she left and i wouldn't be surprised if verity kind of felt the same thing like it is billed as a kid show and you know it's sci-fi it's a bit kooky and as much as sydney wanted to not have bug-eyed monsters there are bug-eyed monsters plenty of them i've just looked up verity lambert on imdb by the way to see what did she do after this so immediately after doctor who and she produced 87 episodes of doctor who wow after that she went on to something called the newcomers and then something i certainly do recognize adam adamant lives okay so i have never seen adam adamant lives but I've just read the premise for it. Oh, really? I feel like I need to. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> Actually, I see that she also did 20 episodes of Jonathan Creek. Yeah. There, there are some kind of later shows that are more notable to me, at least. Anyway, Jonathan Creek and, well, El Dorado. <laughs> oh, really? What's El Dorado? was a soap that was set abroad in Spain, in the Costa El Dorado, and was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Five out of ten on IMDb. Nice. It only ran for a year. <laughs> so sorry, Verity. Yeah. I'm assuming. Oh, no. Oh, my God. It was her idea. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, Verity. No. Oh. But I think, isn't this often the case that you, you jump shit from something because you want to try other things, but you can never... Re- White rekind- match it. Yeah, you yeah. can never rekindle that same spark you had. Like, 
it's hard to get a hit in any career in any industry yeah that's true to recreate those things like it seems like Sidney Newman is the only person in who's in this film who seems to have really pulled that off though apparently created the Avengers yeah uh, British Avengers for those of you in podcast land <laughs> who suddenly thought yes. Captain America although they man. <laughs> They portray it as he basically came up with the name. Yeah, he's like, it's called The Avengers. I don't know what it's about. (laughs) (laughs) And to be be honest, that's the way they portray Doctor Who as well. It's like, it's an old guy. He he travels and... He had... No, sorry, I just cut you off there. Go ahead. Well, like, there are are a lot of details that... I mean, if you were to write... If you well, if you survey 100 people and say, write what Doctor Who is, they they would probably write down his idea. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, I mean, but cre- he had it. I mean, the, credit the where credits that, do. Well, yeah. he's he well, at least according to this film, he was saying like, oh well, so it's a an older gentleman with his granddaughter traveling around in a police box, which is a time and space machine, and it's called a TARDIS, and yada yada yada. Oh, I'm, I think possibly it's bigger on the inside. Yeah, maybe. And did he already kind of have the? premise set i mean the full he didn't have the first script because he seemed really shocked by how shit the story was and Dirty lambert was having to say well i didn't have a choice that was the only script that was ready i don't know regardless he definitely came up with this idea and she then took that idea and turned it into an absolute masterpiece yeah it's also fantastic to see the influence of terry nation and the daleks like if that hadn't happened so early on in Classic Who, if that hadn't been the second serial, very possibly there wouldn't have been 50 plus years of Doctor Who. Yeah, I, I thought that was quite incredible, actually, when they, the kids are all... Yes, exactly. ...pretending to be Daleks. Oh, that's so lovely. That must just be an incredible feeling. Oh, I know. Like it, well, I mean, I can imagine. <laughs> you, you want to get the, the viewing figures and 10 million viewers. 10 Holy million? moly. Yes. I mean... Like, who doesn't get that? That's a lot by today's standards. That frequently now, does it? Yeah. Um, which, How many television sets were there in the UK in 1963? I don't know. Maybe it had kind of got to the threshold point and most households had one and it was new and it was the only form of entertainment, really. So everyone watched BBC. Okay. But... Because I think that's why they, they complain about figures these days is that people have so many other things they can do with the internet and what have you. Oh, I see, yeah. So TV figures are lower than they used to be. But still, that's 10 million seems bonkers. It's a ton. But yeah, okay, so you, you obviously want to get that. But surely, just being surrounded by people that are quoting things from your show... Yeah, it's, it's that's, a fantastic that's be feeling. A bigger buzz, I would have thought. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> I also liked, and again, it's it's hard to know how much of this is really factual, which which it is frustrating. Uh, I I see what you were saying about it maybe being a bit too dramatized, and you know you're not quite sure if, how much of it is real. Yeah, but at least it's it seems I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume that the start of Doctor Who was very troubled. Oh yeah, <laughs> they were shoved into <laughs> Studio D, <laughs> which looks like a. I don't know. A like, closet. Yeah. Which was way too hot and the sprinkler system. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. <laughs> that's fantastic. But then there seems to be... I it, bet you that is true, though. Yeah, I, I 100% think that that's true. Because yeah. then, like, we we know that go further into history, uh, well, closer towards us in history, and they kill all the tapes. Like, what do they do? They record yeah. over them or destroy them, you know, and we lose, lose episodes. Yeah. And, and store them improperly, and it's the recording over that's really mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah. Which, given how how much it seems to have been a hit from the start, yeah, 
It's very surprising they didn't care more about it. But. And not, at the very least to just keep it for historical, for its historical value. Yeah. I think it just says a lot about BBC in this time frame of probably is a bit strapped for cash. and There is that. I think there's also... Scrutined. a Yeah, I think you're right about that. But I think it's also a case of they just... Maybe they had... They were wearing blinds, not really realizing that not just this one property, but the BBC in general, the industry at large, is going to develop. And maybe what you are doing right now is not what's going to last forever. It might also be a case of like, I don't give a shit what my kids and their kids do and and how they're going to run a career. I I care about my career right now. And it's going to cost me money to store all these, you know, all these recordings somewhere and to store them properly. I might as well just destroy them because when is anyone ever going to have any use for them it's going to be after i'm retired or after i'm dead like it's you know i guess that's the thing if you have no concept of there being a use for them beyond beyond a rerun this is the one story that i i this might have been from the convention as well i can't remember where i heard this but i i maybe or maybe a documentary or something but someone was saying that there wasn't a concept of a rerun once you had seen something that product was spent yeah and so why would anyone ever see this one episode again and, and that is almost directly negated in this film I, I didn't know about the coincidence of the jfk assassination yeah i didn't know and them affecting ratings obviously like a one of a bajillion ripple effects of of a tragic occurrence obviously but then them taking a recording and playing it again on the bbc seems like it should have been in the mindset Ugh, sorry i'm i'm contradicting myself and everything i'm getting very fickled up here but no i think i think it's fair like i mean we don't know what was going on but the you know we're we're way before uh videotapes yeah and people recording things for their own posterity and yeah well maybe not quite because that's how we got some of the the lost episodes back isn't it but oh that's yeah i think that's i think they they sent tapes to places like uh australia like the australian yeah whatever sister company of the bbc you know and they kept the tapes properly yeah but yeah dialing back to to sydney though i think the point i was i was trying to make is that obviously he's he's the the spark that ignited it yeah verity's the one that ran with torch and really got it to be the thing it it is and why it's loved yeah verity is the new blood she is of the generation that is going to take the bbc and this one intellectual property into the future sydney's the father figure in a way yeah if hartnell is the granddad <laughs> in in more ways than one but there is sort of a big brother kind of character here as well who is mervyn pinfield oh the guy that invented the auto cue. He yes, he invented the auto cue. <laughs> he thinks of how to do the opening sequence, as in the the actual inside of the vortex ish opening uh, sequence, yeah. which I didn't quite understand how that worked. You you point a camera down itself, like you point a camera at a monitor, and that creates sort of a reverb in a way. Yeah, I think that was it. I, th- I guess because it was the old cathode ray tube monitors oh, yeah, right. that you can see a bit of that inside it when you're filming it. I don't oh, interesting. Know. Either way, wonderful. awesome effect. Yeah, yeah. And I love to. I have no idea. If, again, if this happened in real life, but they they want to put Hartnell in front of it to to show his face. Yes. And they try it and they go, oh no, def- uh, definitely not. <laughs> far too scary. <laughs> 
Then they do exactly that with Troughton later on, right. as in, in actual Doctor Who. Uh. I don't think Hartnell ever got his face in the opening credits. I think Troughton is the first one. Oh, uh, okay. I think Because so. it, obviously it becomes a thing. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, well, they, I think they play with it a little bit. Don't yeah, they? sort of on and off. Because Pertwee's full body outline and... Which is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but I quite liked that Mervyn Binfield character. Amos Rawl is his name, or Rawl? Either way. Uh, also Harry Potter alum. Amos, yes. Amos Diggory. Amos Diggory. Mm, what a chap. Jeff, Jeff Roll. Jeff Roll. Oh, apologies. Jeff Roll. Why did I write Amos? Oh, Amos Diggory. That's why. <laughs> Do you want to talk production value? Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's incredibly nicely stylized for the 60s. Yeah. Clothes and cars and, and everything. The Beeb. Everything is uh, seemingly perfectly authentic. But in addition to that recreating the classic sets, the classic costumes, getting to see a Mondasian Cyberman smoking a cigarette. That's my first note, is cyber fag break. <laughs> I had a look online, because I'm sure I've seen a picture of, of exactly... I'm, I'm sure that's based on a photo. Uh, right. But the only thing I could find was a later version of the Cyberman uh, smoking a cigarette. Actually, right at the start, I did feel like they were going to get slapped on the wrist for showing... So many people smoking. Yeah, you're right. There, there is a ton of smoking in here. But I think it dies down actually quite quickly. Yeah, but I mean, we get to see we, even Verity Lambert is smoking on set. Yeah, like everyone's people are smoking. Like the cameraman is smoking a cigarette whilst shooting a scene, <laughs> yes. which is incredible. <laughs> this is like madman, madman levels of smoking at work. It's like madman, except you know, with more bug-eyed monsters and maybe a little less extramarital boning. <laughs> I love the recreation of all these things. The The TARDIS console room looks absolutely stunning. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. And I wonder if, you know, I wonder if maybe that's then reused in, um, what was it called again? The one with Ooh, Capaldi? I bet you're right. Because we do get to see Bradley again reprising the role, but this time properly playing the first Doctor. Yeah. And he is, is in his first Doctor console room. They would have been stupid to throw it away. I yeah, think. exactly. Although it is, it's four years later they do that. Four years? Well, later. maybe three and a half or something, but hmm. it's quite it's quite a time. Like if they didn't it is. If they didn't have an inkling that they might need it, then BBC be what it is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> might have just left it out in the rain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a gorgeous thing. And I wonder if it, do you think it's better than the original? Because I'm not sure if the original would have stood up to that many close up shots. Probably not. No, you're right. I mean, much of it was quite flimsy. There is one bit in the in this film where, in the very, very beginning of them shooting the first episode, where the doors constantly open. Oh, yeah. And they, they're struggling to keep them closed. And I don't remember seeing that in the actual episode, I'm sure. I mean, that's before they then reshoot the whole episode, right? Oh, that's true, yeah. But that's the only indication we get of, oh, this set is super flimsy. The rest actually seems incredibly professionally constructed. Yeah. Particularly given that it's something that was designed very slapdash by <laughs> some arrogant fuckwad in the BBC props department. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure about So, So this scene is where Verity's had a bit of a pep talk from Sydney. Yeah. I, I think they've just done the buttering up of Hartnell. Yes, that's it. It's like, hey, be a producer. Yeah. Yeah. So the prop guy who's been given another runaround, yeah. she just goes and sits in front of him and says, well, I'm going to be patient. <laughs> You're going to do it. <laughs> and yeah, he grabs the three closest objects on his desk yeah. and goes, okay, there's your fucking TARDIS. <laughs> but it, 
it seems like this the scene is trying to make it like she's won. Like Yeah, she's won and he's suddenly realized what he's been missing out on all this time. Yeah. Like, like he's inspired by his own slapdash work. Obviously the thing they make is wonderful. Yeah. But I don't feel like I don't know. It's if if that's really how it happened, I feel like this is just <laughs> fluke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean there's so much more work that needs to go into it aside from him just going, well, I guess you'll have a table that's, if this is meant to be an accurate representation, it's a table that's meant but made by a gigantic upside down ashtray on top of a gigantic spool of string. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's nothing there about, is it going to be larger on the inside? There's nothing about... What do the roundels do? Where is the scanner? Are there buttons on the console? Does it go up and down? Like, all yeah. those details are missing. So, that's what I'm saying. My impression is that he does this really slapdash thing just to get her off his back. But when he then takes a step back, like a meta step, just to look at what he's just put together, he's inspired to then go, all right, you're right. I'm going to go and do this properly. You're a good producer. <laughs> he's like, whoa, <laughs> dude, my mind's blown. blown. Oh, my God. <laughs> why is my hand so big <laughs> one thing i did know actually from a production point of view which yeah i don't know if it's something you can spot in the episodes they seem to have one well i think i think they have two physical walls with the roundels on and then going further out from one of them is just a a computers oh it's just a sheet with the the roundels painted on them I did not notice it's not, that. It's not a 3D thing. And I, I don't know if you ever can see that or if it, it was just there as a precaution to hide, you know, the, the rest of the filming studio. Oh, wow. I have no idea. I'm going to have to go back and look at that. I don't know. Because it seemed like, like I, I only spotted it in one, one little scene, just a kind of glance in the background. I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> but is this, you know, is this some eagle-eyed thing that loads of people out there in podcast land and go, yeah, of course it's there, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> What, you've never spotted the famous curtain of roundels? <laughs> <laughs> would make a nice shower curtain. It would. <gasps> oh, I don't need a shower curtain. <laughs> <laughs> shower door. Okay, I'm up for that. I'm up for that. Other things that were recreated, in addition to the set and everything, we get to see a monoptera. A what, sorry? A, a monoptera, which is the uh, the butterfly oh, alien the from the, the web planet. A web planet which... I think maybe at some point in the... Okay, maybe when we've caught up completely with the show. <laughs> so in two years' time. the, the uh, Don't quote me on that. <laughs> I would quite like to go back and re-review the web planet because I don't think that we were fair on it at all. But in this one, they put together just the most incredibly authentic-looking Minotra outfits. You know yeah. the one I'm talking about? No, I do. It's beautiful. I had it as a note to talk about it because oh, nice. I thought you would want to. <laughs> <laughs> it looks beautiful. There are so many. And, and I mean, the lines that he's practicing with his wife, they are about the web planet as well. Uh, okay. The, the, uh, oh, the Vortis and uh, yada, yada. It's, oh, and, oh, it's the web planet. It's uh, tricky. It's tricky. It doesn't have a, a moon of its own. Yada, yada, yada. I can't remember what he says now, which is interesting because the web planet actually starts with it panning up to a moon. <laughs> <laughs> details people details <laughs> so i think i am finding it hard to talk about this because a lot of it we're just sort of talking about the the history of doctor who that's true well i think that's but, i which, think that's the dialogue that this film is meant to spark oh yeah absolutely 
because one one thing that did strike me actually throughout this yeah is that they always refer to the character the doctor yeah as doctor who yes yes they do and i think he's credited as doctor who as well in the first few seasons i don't really remember now oh really i'm sure we talked about it on the podcast as in in the end credits i think it says doctor who and we because we're at a point in new who where the name of the doctor yeah doctor who has been going on for a while yeah and i think as a you know still a bit of a newbie to classics yeah like i i always kind of assumed it it was just the title of the show it wasn't the name of the character it's it's not meant to be the name of the character i think it's literally just a effectively breaking the fourth wall the end credits refers to the character by the name of the show but in the film sorry in the series series themselves he doesn't have a surname and no one refers to him as as Doctor Who or Mr. Who or anything like that. Yeah. Um, th- there were theories, uh, as I recall, of his surname actually being Foreman, which is the, you know, Susan, I am yeah. Foreman's uh, scrapyard and, and Susan Foreman because of that. That's her alias. And also he's Foreman, so kind of makes sense uh, in that yeah. regard. But that's also just sort of a fan theory. It's not meant to be his name. Th- later on, Two of the, uh, you probably know this already, we've reviewed uh, them on, on Who Back When as well. The, two of the Hartnell stories were remade in Technicolor for the cinema with Peter Cushing. And in those, he plays Doctor Who. That is his actual name. And Susan is not Susan Foreman, she is Susan Who. Oh, really? Yeah. It's all a bit shit, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they are great, though. They are lovely. I didn't realize they were two, actually. I think I've only seen Yeah, there's uh, The Daleks, which is then remade as Doctor Who and the Daleks, and The Dalek Invasion of Earth, which is the one where you see them on Westminster Bridge, which you see in this film. Yeah. It's beautifully done. Like a perfect recreation that is Doctor Who and the... uh, and No, sorry. Dalek Invasion... Invasion Earth 2066 or something like that. It's, It's really naff. And excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Dalek Invasion of Earth, by the way, the the Hartnell serial, watch it. It it is insanely good. A post-apocalyptic, an alien force has taken over the earth, enslaved mankind. It is gritty and incredible. Lovely stuff. It's really, really cool. <laughs> I remember reading, by the way, that the scene on Westminster Bridge was for this film, for for an adventure in space and time, was sort of guerrilla filmmaking. Oh, really? Yeah, that they didn't necessarily have all the permits or they were still waiting for some of the oh. permits. Uh, and they just got up when there was very little traffic, like in little enough traffic that you could, you know, mass paint it out yeah. or something and then just shot the scene. I didn't know if they had um, played a bit with the background because I'm sure it looks very misty over Westminster oh, as well. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Possible. like it's just rising around the towers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is very nice. And then a little comedy moment of... Was it the, the third Dalek in the line nearly falling off the pavement yeah, and exactly. getting shouted at? I like that the Dalek, the eye stalk, is following the director around as he's <laughs> talking to him. It's like, but what do you want me to do? <laughs> the sort of side characters actually are quite nice. They're, they're generally there for a bit of... Levity. and Yeah, yeah. Com- comedy. But you get the, the caveman who's refusing to have his it's teeth his... <laughs> blackened because he's just whitened them. <laughs> to get on TV. And then the other caveman just stops and says, oh, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Caveman who looks exactly like Tony Robinson as well. Oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I meant to look up if it was. <laughs> he just has a very kind of baldric about him from Blackout. Yes, he does. Yes, you're right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very true. I had to look up who Tony Robinson was, but yeah, he absolutely looks like Baldrick. How do you feel about Matt Smith showing up at the end? 
Oh, we had to talk about it, I suppose. We had to mention it. I don't think I liked it. I didn't like it either. I didn't understand it. I didn't think it was necessary. It felt it felt like someone going, you know, this is the 50th. We've got to link it to the other stuff somehow. Yeah. Oh, we'll shove Matt Smith in there. So, I mean, are we, is it positing the idea that William Hartnell was in that moment thinking ahead, going, this show will run for decades, 50 years even, you know? I mean, I guess that's... My replacements will only get younger and younger. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess that's what it's meant to do, but... Yeah, I didn't like it. No. I could have done without it. I'm also not convinced that... Matt Smith actually filmed for this. No, he it's, was really poorly green screened into that, that shot. It's that taken poorly. from something else. You know what? Maybe. And it, yeah, it is really bad because at one point he's like behind the console. And then he's, and then in, he's in, front in front of it. it. Yes, and I it's agree. Just, it's horrible. Absolutely. It's very poorly done. And and it seems odd because surely they they have access to Matt Smith. <laughs> And they have, you would think. <laughs> like, there's no end to the budget here. Even if they're not going to shoot him on that set, shoot him in front of just half of a console or like in front of the corner of a table yeah. and then use that footage. Yeah. I mean, he could, he could have just been stood in the background. He didn't have to be interacting with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, it would have right. looked more natural if it was just, you know, slightly off to the left. There's, there's a Matt Smith stood by the cameraman or something, you know. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But they're trying to trying to have their cake and eat it that he's I don't know. Are they I don't know if they were trying to like play up the the fantasy element and is like, well, maybe he's the real doctor and he knows his future self and Oh maybe. I, I don't know. But it was just I don't think it was called for. No, not at all. There's also like there's an element of oh crap, this is suddenly turning into a film about the the creeping symptoms of dementia. How this this poor man is. Oh, wait, uh, I should I should cut that. That's terrible. No, I think I think that's a fair point. I I think it's tread it treads the line very nicely throughout, and you you learn quite late that William Hartnell has been having health problems. Yeah. Um. I, d- I don't know. Maybe it's not treading. Maybe it is stepping over the line quite often, actually. But like, it's at least treading around the line. And then, yeah, this Matt Smith scene just kind of throws all that. I think the Matt Smith scene also that breaks the fourth wall. That yeah. puts this film into the context of twenty whatever thirteen, rather than we're looking through a lens into nineteen the nineteen sixties. Yeah, that's very true as well. Yeah, they should have scrapped it. Yeah. Oh well. That's all right. <laughs> How did you feel about the yearometer? I actually didn't mind that. Okay. I didn't like it. Very <laughs> no. much. Actually, now I'm realizing there are a few things about this that I didn't really like. But I think I think it was probably needed. If you well, if you wanted to tell the story in a non-linear fashion, it would have been hard to do without. It te- is in a linear telling. fashion, though, isn't it? It's just that it's skipping ahead by a year or two years or three years, or whatever. No, I guess you're right. Actually, it's only that we get to see something from 1960s. Six, right at the very start. Oh, the, when uh, he's looking only, at the police box. When he's sat in his car, and yeah, yeah exactly. And, 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 yeah, he comes on. He comes on set, and then we see him on the car in his car. I think. And yeah, that's right. It's it's just that kind of. Here's a bit at the end before we start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, no, you're right. Actually, from then on, it, it is just it's all jumping linear. ahead a bit. I think I would have preferred to just have the year written on screen. Yeah. Boom, 1964. But I, I don't get it. These are, all, these are minor niggles. I'm not about to complain about this, this film, except for the fact that they hired an immortal. But aside from that, <laughs> this is, it's a wonderful film. It's absolutely lovely. I, I think I'd, I'd just keep coming back to what I really like about it is just how, how kind of grey everything is. Like, 
Oh, sort of desaturated in a way, or what? Oh no, I, I mean. Oh, you mean? Oh, it's not black the, and white. It's 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 not the. Someone had a brilliant idea. Someone went and executed it brilliantly. Yeah. <laughs> it's that it was shoved into Studio D. That we've got this very capable actor who's a bit grumpy, who then gets a moment with his fans and is adorable and like leading him around the park. Oh, I love that scene. Yeah, it's wonderful. We've got Sidney Newman, who is like absolutely no robots, absolutely no bug eye monsters, and comes around to it. Is exactly what the show needs and explodes because of it, because of the Daleks. And yeah. it's just it's you all mean the door locks. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's it's all these these things of someone trying something or someone making a mistake even and eventually it just kind of all comes together and it, and it runs from that and it's it's just i think a kind of almost so a love letter to creativity it's like oh yes. things don't come You're out right. fully baked you have to work at it yeah that's true although slightly naively presented because you don't have to work too hard like hey with good friends you can overcome any <laughs> obstacle it's that kind of you got to work i don't know this this was kind of killing Will Hartnell. They kept going on about the, the hard schedule and how much they had to to learn. And they had four edits for each episode, <laughs> which is why all the fluffs are in there. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this doesn't seem like it was easy to do. Fine, I see what you're saying. If you don't, if you don't finish wrapping up before the, the equipment overheats, you get the sprinklers <laughs> coming on. <laughs> yeah, the entire set is ruined. <laughs> I think, sorry, just to backtrack and talk about that scene with the kids in the park. Yeah. It neatly juxtaposes, I mean, his love for the show and his audience's love for him is juxtaposed in his behavior towards children in general. Because in the beginning, like the very first scene with him at home, we see his gross immortal granddaughter. He's just annoyed by her. Yeah. And he's quite disparaging to her and sends her running off. And he just, I mean, he, he expects as much of her as you would of an adult. He's like, well, I told her once. That should surely be enough. You know? Yeah. And she just runs off to her room, in fact. I think she lives there. Anyway. It kind of looks like it. Yeah. yeah. And then the show takes off. All of a sudden, he's really good towards his granddaughter. And we have that lovely scene of him leading the kids around the park. Yeah. The parents, not at all worried <laughs> that, that some strange old man he's is... a strange old man. He's Dr. Pied, ...pipering their kids around the park. <laughs> Yeah, and then fast forward to the end of his run as the doctor, when he he's clearly getting older, his granddaughter seems to be noticing this now as well. Yeah. And possibly he is he's probably not gonna be on the show forever. All of a sudden the granddaughter is not babying him, but she's being very pedagogical in her interactions with her granddad. Like, oh, yes, of course, you made a mistake. Of course, that wasn't a mistake. You meant to say this. I understand. Like, she interprets his mistake, yeah. deliberately misinterprets it, rather, as as something correct. And kind of gives him an excuse to perhaps gracefully exit that scene and possibly the show going forward. So I think that's a juxtaposition as well. Like, his interaction with his audience is actually his... In, oh, sorry, his interaction with his granddaughter and with kids is his interaction with the, with the audience mm. and vice versa. Nice. Probably talking out of my ass. But yeah, yeah. No, it came through clearly on the microphone. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you've got a microphone down there as well, which I'm not aware of. Uh, I'm not going to... Maybe I'll show you later. <laughs> his final words when he's... Not final words on the show, but his words to his wife when he's leaving. Is that, that's a tenant quote, right? I don't want to go. Yeah. 
I which, think so. Which I'm assuming this is taking liberties with and is putting in tenants, quote. I think so too. But it'd be very interesting if it was the other way around. But Oh, I hadn't considered that possibility. I don't know. Someone would have had to... Like his wife would have had yeah, to... Had to have been interviewed a biography or, yeah, or something. written in the book. Oh, I don't think so. I think this is a tenant thing. Yeah. I think this is, oh, a doctor is on its on his way out. Tenants is the last one that we'll have seen at that point, the last one to head out. That's true, actually, yeah. It's a hard thing to hear. I, I can't hear that without it it's, affecting me in some way. Yeah, it's so evocative. Yeah. I know. Like my note is I don't want to go um, frowny face. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. <laughs> the other thing that they seem to portray with Hartnell is like his house is very modest yes it is like i i don't know what an actor makes working on a show like this in 1963 67 by the end of it no he didn't run that long did he it's three and a half years or something like that i'm looking it up 66 oh sorry yeah he obviously he returns later on for the three doctors but uh yeah 1966 yeah so like either actors just weren't on the same salaries that they are today or he was just a very modest individual as well, at least as portrayed in this biography. Well, he's, I don't think he's able to, I mean, it's certainly, it's made clear that he's not able to retire after this, even though he's of an age, he, it seems like he has to work because he's even taking jobs that he doesn't want rather than, you know, he's taking something because of love of the craft or something like that. He doesn't seem to like the work that he's doing afterwards. You mean the the pantomime thing? Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I guess that I guess that's true. And he only had was this in the end credits the when we get to see our William Hartnell whatever. Yeah. Uh, that he only he only worked on like five or six things after Doctor Who. Yeah. Before it was just too old. I actually stumbled across his uh, section on Wikipedia. It does actually talk about his salary. Oh really? So he had a regular salary of three hundred fifteen pounds an episode in nineteen sixty six which would have been equivalent to 5,764 in 2018. Wait, sorry, that was his salary so per... Per episode. Really? Per episode? What's the equivalent of five grand an episode? Yeah. That's an episode a week for however many weeks. Well, it, say, it says in the era of 48 weeks per year production. That's a shit ton of money. It would seem so. Yeah, he should have retired and <laughs> moved to a house made of gold and servants. A house made of servants. <laughs> <laughs> That's like two and three quarter. No, wait, I can't say that number. Two hundred seventy-five thousand. He's made in that year. Wait, hang on. You know what? I okay. So I've just read a bit of trivia, which is also relevant to this, because I keep picturing Hartnell as this rather old gentleman. And if you're retiring, if you're in your seventies and you're retiring with two hundred and however many thousand pounds a year yeah that's that's pretty decent <laughs> that's very decent but hardner was in fact only 55 when he played this role oh yeah david bradley was in his 70s when he played this role Who's david bradley? oh david bradley yeah david bradley the guy who plays william hartnell right so it, yeah it says here david bradley was 71 when he was playing hartnell uh, but hartnell was only 55 capaldi was only 55 yeah and i remember that being a big point exactly so it if you're 55 and you're making that much money, that's only going to last you for a few years. If, like, let's say potentially you get no work afterwards, that's only going to last you a few years. You have to pay for your house and he has a family and everything. That's not going to last him un 
the rest of his life. Yeah. No, I, I can see that he has to work. He well, I don't I don't know about has to. I feel like he he probably could have taken some breaks and been picky about things. Probably yes, and he's so he incredibly tried. popular that he yeah yeah. I I I it struck me at least through the portrayal by Bradley. Yeah, <laughs> that he was someone that had an ethic about working. Like particularly, you know, this is something we see from this generation in general. Is that if you're not working, you're not alive almost. Sure, that that is, I'm sure, a factor as well. The range of productions that he would have that would have been offered to him afterwards is pretty very limited. Well, you think people would just wouldn't want to work with him? Well, yeah, not because of the grumpiness, but because of like, well, the guy can't remember his lines. Yeah, it's better to cast someone else in their late fifties, early sixties. Who looks like he's 70 to, um, you know, who can remember his lines and who will be, who will be punctual and, and who won't mess up our production. Yeah. Not to be mean or anything. I mean, it's, it's, no, this is why it's I said, like, like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's almost, it's mind boggling to me that he was hired in the first place. I'm super happy that he was, but it's mind boggling that he was. And then it's also a, a nothing short of a miracle that they just kept him on despite all this stuff for such a long time yeah until eventually it was just too late and they had to think of a way out of it i did kind of like how he's portrayed during this period of fluffing all his lines forgetting everything yeah and he's saying oh i don't don't need to say all this i could do it with a look (laughs) yes (laughs) so good (laughs) and when i think Coincidentally, he's asked to see Sydney, and Sydney wants to tell him that he's getting fired, basically. Yeah. And he goes in and says, yeah, you know, we, we can't carry on as we, we're doing this now. Like, no, how, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> how, how about, you know, they just, they write a general outline, and I'll just go on set, set and just <laughs> ad-lib everything. <laughs> the look on Brian Cox's face when he's suggesting that, it's just like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's worse than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is interesting, though, because... There's obviously there's the love for the show, but it seems to be this this kind of determination of carrying on working as well, I guess. Which maybe it is just fighting against the the knowledge that he's not going to be able to do this for much longer. His illness is kind of preventing from having a career, and maybe he's even, yeah. even worried about the future and being short. That's that's also true. Yeah. Well, it's also possible, certainly. Mm. There's one thing about uh, Hartnell that really really got to me and that was him planning out all the buttons and switches oh yeah and correcting the director and thinking, no no I, I can't possibly do that because that switch is over there on this fictitious piece of technology i'd have to walk around and yeah i, I loved how early on that was as well because because that oh you're right that's actually it's in that, two cases yeah that yeah. that seems quite late when yeah i might be in 66 or it, it will be in 66. It's like the first episode post Verity Lambert. Right. But you're right. Yeah, there's another one before, like, they're still shooting, but before they've even built yeah, the set. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the set's not there and he wants the set so he can he can work out where everything should be. Yeah. Because he says the children will spot it if we try and fudge it. Oh, so, oh. Again, it's this kind of... There's so much hard in that. and I, I This weird this gray and juxtaposition of of how he feels about kids. Like he's on a kid's show. Yeah. He's quite often grumpy to kids, but he's playful with kids. But ultimately he's, he's kind of bigging them up. He's like, like they'll spot it. Like yeah, exactly. we, we've got to do justice to this. We it may do right by them. Yeah. yeah. 
Kitsch doesn't mean you get to slack off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's right. Yeah. Before he was uh, picked for this role, they they name check three actors who were considered for Doctor Who. Oh, okay. For as for the role of the Doctor, this is the scene where Douglas Camfield, who's just trying to muscle Verity Lambert yeah, out, of, he's, out of the job, he's well, he's he's there to be the voice of experience. Yeah, but they're he's slightly worried, but he's incredibly just, arrogant. Yeah, and, he's and, trying to be a dick about it. Yeah, and chauvinist. Um, but he has three different actors in mind, and they are Leslie French. And this is true; these were all considered for the the role of the Doctor. Leslie French, who later on appeared in Doctor Who in uh, Silver Nemesis or the Silver Nemesis, probably, possibly, um, as the mathematician, unnamed mathematician. Unnamed mathematician. Um, Cyril Cusack, whom I found on IMDb but did not recognise. Uh, and Hugh David, who would later show up in The Highlanders and Fury from the Deep, Trout and Serials. Oh. Yeah. They're normally quite good at not letting people get off their radar entirely, aren't they? Yeah. But this is also, this is BBC in the 60s. There are five people working there. <laughs> uh, while we're on the whole Doctor Who connection thing, Verity Lambert, we talked about this when we reviewed the serial in que- or the episode in question. Verity Lambert is played by Emily Grayling, whom we saw in Hyde. We did. Yeah. And I think she was very good in both. She was, yeah. What name did you read out for her then? Oh, crap. Did I read out the name of the character? Emily Grayling is what I wrote down. Yeah. Is that the name of the character? Yeah, she's she's Jessica Rain. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> uh, no, that's fine. Thank you so much for correcting me. I was just scanning scanning through a list of people to, to click on and it was like, uh... uh <laughs> who are you talking about? <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about? I have a note that Marie wanted me to pass along. Ooh. She unfortunately couldn't make this evening's recording. I know. Uh, she's slightly poorly. Oh, but sorry, also, Marie. She did also feel like that maybe this was a more kind of classic thing to... So it's just the classic team should be talking about it. Oh, okay. But <laughs> she, made, she made me write down how shit Verity is at drinking red wine. <laughs> 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 Wait, contextualize that, please. Because there are two separate occasions in this biopic where she drinks red wine and then gets lines coming up out the corner of her mouth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which has never happened to anyone ever. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, Marie actually wears a lot of lipstick and gets a lot of lipstick round wine glasses. Even then, like, doesn't get, like, kind of lines shooting around her face. Yeah, this seems like a, like almost a, a comedy scene in which she's trying to put lipstick on her cheeks in order to get the man that she's courting to wipe it off her yeah. face. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. In steps William Hartnell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for for a minute I was worried that. The- I know that scene actually looks like oh fuck he's gonna shove his tongue down her throat, yeah. isn't he? Damn it! This is not what I was expecting. This is a love story. <laughs> Thank you, Marie. That's an excellent observation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also curious whether Hartnell, by the end of it, was always turning the console on. Like, Oh, yeah. I don't know, but I, I'd like to think so. That's yeah, lovely. I like to think that. And that there's a little, just a little switch just by his feet. Yeah. Like, Along with 50 other dials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but more, more dials underneath it than actually on top. <laughs> yeah, true. I think I might be all out. Yeah, me too. Oh, actually, sorry. One question. What is that odd golden statue in the BBC 
quad? I, I don't know. And why do we need to see its clenched golden buttocks? Incredibly clenched buttocks. Very clenched. Like I, I wonder if maybe, because th- we do get to see them right after we get to see the introduction of Vicky. And I was wondering, is like, Smokegate has included this this pair of really clenched golden buttocks as a reference to Vicky Nopance's upskirt shots. Oh, possibly. Probably not. I don't know. I think they were mostly having fun with filming the Beeb. Oh, that's true. I do have a question for you before we uh, summarize. Has this inspired you to want to maybe visit some of those old Hartnell serials? Yes. It, it makes me want to fight past my memory of trying to watch the very first <laughs> serial and it just being so slow and boring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I think I could push past that now and... Yeah. Nice. Give it a proper go. Very nice. Watch some Dalek ones, they're good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. It, are we rating this? We're not rating this, are we? No, I, I think we don't need to rate this as a bonus. I think it's safe to say we both enjoyed it. It would be quite a high rating. Probably. Leave it there. I think that's a fair point. We have, however, received a Lister Mini from Podcast Land. Oh, very nice. Shall we have a listen? Yes. Listener Minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max to 50, or it would get out of hand. Right, Rooney. Well, we do have one Listener Mini, and this one comes from Kyle Rath. Fear the wrath of Kyle. <laughs> First try. <laughs> Hello, Kyle. Hello there, Kyle. Kyle doing an excellent job of providing us with minis for all of the 50th anniversary specials and episodes and, and everything. Yes. Nicely done. Kyle starts. Once upon a time, Toronto-born, Toronto-born Sidney Newman had an idea for a kids' TV show. He cobbled together the most unlikely group of individuals to make it, and in doing so, transformed generations. It's easy to be here now, look back on the history of the Doctor Who series, and comment about what works and what doesn't. What an adventure has done is provide us a glimpse, perhaps a bit rose-tinted, of what it may have actually been like carving something out of nothing. Pervasive racism and sexism, impossible production restrictions, and single-mindedness in the face of colourless bureaucracy are fully on display in the 1960s BBC HQ. Against tremendous odds, Doctor Who became a staple, and when faced with obstacles, it adapted and persevered for 26 seasons. It introduced notions and concepts never before considered for the small screen, let alone the big screen. It laid the groundwork for other works to push boundaries and challenge perspectives. David Bradley is a gem, and Mark Gattis very nicely shares with the audience a thoughtful and considerate homage to William Hartnell and the team that brought Doctor Who to life. And Kyle has rated this. He gives it a score of 4.5 out of 5. Beautiful in all the right ways, says Kyle. And yes, Matt Smith appearing at the end made me choke up a bit. Why can't Gators write like this all the time? Oh. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Kyle, that we ragged on it earlier. Yeah. <laughs> glad, glad you got something out <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah, apologies. It, that's really nice. That's a, that's a very lovely mini. Thank you so much, Kyle. Very nice. Thank you. Uh, people who are not Kyle, you can follow Kyle. He can be found on Twitter at Sinister Super Spy. That's super without any what's, Jim? Vowels. Correct. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Kyle. This has been a lovely little soiree. Why, yes. Oh, and I, I should say, I, I, actually, I meant to say this up front at the very, very start of this episode. 
You are a freaking hero for being here tonight, having this conversation on the record. It, it, because podcast land, tomorrow, uh, Jim and Marie are heading off on their globetrotting adventure through space, okay. but not time. Just <laughs> going on a plane with a bag, it's fine. Yeah. You, you've recorded literally hours before going on a plane. Like, I'm sure you've gotten a flight at like two, two or three o'clock in the morning and we, oh, that's true, we wrapped up at like one. That is true. You know what? I'm much less impressed by you now. <laughs> I hope Podcast Land has enjoyed listening to us dissecting, rambling. Yeah, enjoying. sure. Hey, if you have or if you haven't, you can let us know. Uh, Jim, you're on Twitter, right? Yes, I am. Uh, how can people find you? They can find me at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what now? No, definitely Jimmy the Who. I'm going to register Jimmy the What now while you're on holiday. <laughs> Fine. And then if, I'm going to tweet in your if, name. <laughs> if you tweet twice, you probably tweeted more than, more than I have. <laughs> yeah, and about as often as I have. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter as well. High five me online. I will high five you right back. But I won't say much in between. Uh, I am at Ponkin. You figure it out. Coming up next, we're not entirely sure in what order we're going to be dropping all these 50th anniversary related episodes. So depending on where you are in, um, well, in time, that might be an audio who review, namely of Situation Vacants. It might also be a nostalgic walk down memory lane, contemplating the good old 50th anniversary convention. If not, the next one will be a new who episode, namely the very last Matt Smith. What is that one called? Is that one the time of the Doctor? It is the time of the Doctor. You know what? I genuinely wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> Neither was I, but we both thought it, so it must be right. The last one of the Doctor. Then we will get back to a classic. Yes, exactly. With... The talons of Wing Jiang. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. He says, trying to look around, hoping not to have offended him. <laughs> <laughs> so until then, thank you so much for listening. You've been a lovely audience. Bon voyage, Jim and Marie. And uh, toodle pip until the next time. Ciao, ciao. Do take care of everyone you know while we're away. <laughs> Be lovely to your neighbours. If you see someone needs help crossing the road, give them a hand. Oh, that's good. And just be wonderful. Bye bye. <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Who back when?